Hey everyone and welcome back to the Purposeful Mindset Podcast. I'm honestly so grateful that you're subscribed to my podcast and I'm excited to share yet another episode with you. This podcast, as you know, is all about bringing servant leaders to share their stories and life experiences with you all in the hopes to help more people to find their true purpose and meaning to life. Today, I have such an incredible guest. I am honestly so humbled and so grateful to have this guest on. His name is Jesse Stewart and he was raised for the most part in Pacific Northwest, but lays claim to North Carolina as home where his father's family arrived from Scotland in the 1600s. His resiliency-based journey began early attending nine different schools from kindergarten through ninth grade. He also became the youngest fully retired major in army at 31 years old. Since retiring from the army, Jesse has had the opportunity to work and speak with organizations such as the US Ski and Snowboard Olympic Team, TEDx, and many other high-performing individuals in business, non-profit, and professional sports. In this episode, Jesse shares his journey from a retired army ranger to a true servant leader, helping people gain the skills they need to improve their mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual well-being. So without further ado, let's get straight into this episode. Jesse Stewart, thank you so much for being on the Purposeful Mindset podcast with me. Man, I have been trying to get this organized with you for such a long time. Honestly, you were on the list of the guests that I was supposed to be inviting on the show last year. Didn't get a chance to do it with you because we both were super busy. And I'm so grateful to have you on the show now. Honestly, please, I would love for you to introduce yourself to all the listeners. And I, I cannot wait for them to hear your story because it blew my mind away the first time that we met through social media, how we connected. I couldn't believe the posts that you created all about me and your, and, and, and your experiences in the, in the army. And I was just like, wow, this human being is something like that someone that I've never met anyone like you before. So please, Jesse, introduce yourself to everyone. And I want you to kind of summarize your story because I know it's a long one. It can go, this podcast episode can go on for hours for sure. Well, I, I kind of like just what you said. I think we're good. We can end it there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, uh, end the podcast, everyone. Everyone go yeah, follow probably, I'll, just, I'll retire. I'll retire with that. Uh, <laughs> congratulations. Uh, love uh, so, uh, so my name is Jesse Stewart. Uh, originally, I claim being from North Carolina because that's where my whole family has been from since their uh, early 1600s when the Brit asked us to leave Scotland. And uh, we settled there. And so that's kind of where I lay home. But I grew up for the most part in uh, in Florida up until five years old and then Washington State uh, for that. And then I went to the University of Washington for, uh, I guess you guys would call it university uh, there in <laughs> across the pond. Uh, we call it college. Yeah. And so I went there for undergrad and I kind of came from a little bit of a poor background. So I had to figure out a way to pay for it. And I wanted to go in the military anyway. So the ROTC scholarship just made sense. And I was simultaneously applying for West Point. So I didn't really have a choice. And so I went to University of Washington uh, because of the way schools work over here. I was able to do uh, like advanced placement classes. So when I went to college, I was actually a junior. And so problem with ROTC, so I was like, great, I just finished college in two years. Let's go fight wars. Well, that's not the case. Um, yeah, I stayed there for four years because you got to get army training. And so I ended up getting an extra degree. And uh, I was starting my senior year in 2001. So about ready to get commissioned a year later. 
And so my aunt and uncle, uh, and obviously we're missing a lot of the, Hey, big story. We'll go back to it. But I, I went up to New York to go visit my aunt and uncle right before we started my senior year. And I had brunch on top of the world trade center on nine, 10, 2001. And then went back to school that day. Next day that happens, obviously everything um, changed uh, for me. I became part of the first commissioning class of officers uh, commissioned after nine 11, uh, when became an army ranger and also became a bolt magnet was wounded several times and was only able to do that for 10 years in one day. Uh, but I was fortunate enough to get two graduate degrees. I was there. I don't know what you guys call them there. If it's just graduate degrees as well, but, um, two master's degrees don't equal a doctorate, got an MBA and a master's in history. And so when I was 31 years old and retired as a major, like everybody thought they were getting the best deal in, in the world because usually, you know, you don't get to retire that early and normally an officer won't get an opportunity for two master's degrees that early. And the, the army can no longer use me anymore because of the reconstructive knee surgeries I'd had and the damage my body had taken from being wounded uh, several times to include being blown up pretty bad. And so I retired at 31, went in the civilian world, got a job in the business sector, thought I was going to crush it. And uh, I just ended up crushing everybody in my, my path, which I still feel really bad about. And I'm still in the process of doing amends. And if there's anybody out here listening to this that used to work with me and you want to talk, just give me a call. We'll straight it out. And uh, I'll buy you a cup of coffee. And so worked in the business world for a couple of years. I taught at Grand Canyon University and then I ended up starting my own company, AM300 after that, because I honestly only started it because I, I felt bad that people were like leaving the companies I worked at. Mm. <laughs> and as much of a jerk as I probably came off of, I was actually, I cared. And so that was why I started my own company was I did not want to hurt other people. And so started my company and that company has obviously evolved a little bit, especially over the last two and a half years of what's been now commonly known as the Phoenix project. So that's my background. Love it. I love it. So, and then now I, I run AM 300 solutions and through that company, our, our mission statement is to develop, uh, develop, collaborate, and deliver hard fought wisdom for winning at life. And, and that's through my experience. That's through the athletes that I work with U S ski and snowboard through the other special operators that I work with, um, green berets, army rangers, Navy seals, British SAS, Australian SAS, um, gosh, I'm getting bracelets from all around the world right now from these Australian former <laughs> SAS guys. It's hilarious. Um, and it's, uh, it's been neat because really what it is, it's been like a rallying cry around our ability to suck and embrace suffering and help other people. Through yeah. that. And so we've been able to take our, our trauma that we've been through and turn around and show like these athletes how to get more work out of the workouts, you know, how to get, you know, compete better, how to get in better mindsets. And so I, uh, I head up that company and I do public speaking through it. My book's being published through it. And, uh, and it's, it's great. I enjoy it. No, I love it. Super inspiring. So uh, something I wanted to ask you to kind of share with everyone is how, uh, w- uh, like when you were in the army, right? In, in the moments that you were in, you know, the most tough of situations where those moments where you didn't really want to be there, but you had to be serving your country, what was going through your mind at the mo- at that, in those times of like really, really like tough times where you, where you genuinely were like, you just felt like packing it in. Like, I, I want to leave this place. I don't want to do this no more. What made so you, like, what made you guys? What I, would do, what I would do is I'd look around mm. and I'd see all the guys that had that same look on their face. Mm. And I'd be like, I'm not going to feel like you're feeling right now. Yeah. Literally. That's what I would do. Um, and I think that part of that goes back to my like need to just do things differently than everybody else. Mm-hmm. But 
yeah, there's times where you're doing stuff where it just sucks. And, um, but I, you know, like Brene Brown is finally codified into leaning into the discomfort. I think that's kind of what I did because if I did that, then I was choosing to lean into it. So it didn't suck as bad. Yeah. If I did, if I all of a sudden said, Nope, I want to be here. Like I was able to somehow cope with it myself. And then my men would see that and it would bring them out of their, you know, their stuff as well. And so like, that's just a tenet of leadership. You know, when you're in leadership, things aren't always going to be rainbows, unicorns and butterflies and leprechauns, right? It's like, things are going to suck sometimes. And you can't just like let your leadership go because of that. You, you've got to dig deep. And for me, it was always easy to look around. And if I saw other people that were, you know, feeling that way, just being like, I'm not going to be like everybody else. And mm-hmm. so for me, I guess I don't want to say that I, I drew my strength off of other people's suffering. Cause that's definitely not it, mm-hmm. but I drew my strength off of my ability to handle the suffering maybe a little bit better than others and bring them out of it. But, but what differentiate, what differentiates you from, from them? Like, how did you get, manage to have that mindset? Cause there well, must be something different you did that they did. They well, so for one thing, when in the army, especially in, 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 in a combat unit, when you're in charge, it's very easy to do the right thing all the time because you know, everybody's looking at you and you know that you're constantly being evaluated and you know, there's a spotlight. on you. Yeah. So that I'm, I'm always very honest with, like, it's a little bit easier to do that when you're in a leadership position, especially like I was as a company commander, because mm-hmm. you're right in the middle of a fight. You're with the boys all the time. There is no private time as a commander. Yeah. And so um, that's one thing. Second thing is, and I was having this conversation with, um, you know, the, the app guy uh, yesterday is, you know, I, I have gotten to a point now in life where I look at what I went through as a child and I will be grateful for it because um, that allowed me to encounter what I was going to go through in war. What I went through going through war, and I don't want to go into this too deep, but the loss of my the loss of a child allowed me to get through that. That allowed me to get through my divorce. And then that got me to the Phoenix Project. So take away any of those things in life. You know, I would be where I am right now. Mm. And so some psychologists will probably tell you that that's like not healthy because you're just suppressing, you know, all the the feelings. But for me, it was, for me, it was like it prepared me. And I don't think I have been a superhuman ability to suffer, you know, or any of that stuff. I just, I think maybe I had a little more training at it and, and I just, I'm hard headed. <laughs> yeah. No, because that's something I realized, like since, since I've known you in the last, the last like two, three years, I think now, maybe four, even four years now, probably. But since the time I've known you and just been following your content along, even though we haven't spoken as much, just by following your content, et cetera. Like I, I realized like the mindset that you have compared to most of the people that are around me here you know, today it's like you just you're just so persistent you're just you're resilient it's just like you you constantly are working hard and you never you just never give up man like you just the fact that you've had all the knee injuries and stuff you know i i, I had the opportunity to to read your bio and stuff um and go deeper into that but just the fact that all those like knee operations all the like suffering that you've been through while while you were a commander like the mindset that you have today is it's just so strong compared to most of the people that we meet now. And I guess, like you said, that's from the training and that's from the experiences that you've gone through and the traumas. But well, it's I mean, partly, but it's also a choice, right? 
Yeah. Is man, I can show you a bunch of Rangers that are just in seals and green Berets and Fort Recon. They're sitting on their couch drinking a beer right now. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, so it's not like we're like this special breed. I think that that community attracts people that are more like that in general, mm. but it's, it's not something just reserved to us. And that's, what's been great about AM 300 is like, I, I've found all these little Rangers in the U S snowboard world. I mean, those half pipe snowboards are the last ones in the world I ever thought that I would connect with the way that I did. And so it's not just reserved for me. And I'm, I'm not trying to be like coy about it and say like, you know, I want to be humble to me. It just makes sense. Mm. And like one thing I don't like to quit. I hate quitting. Yeah, it's like to a character true. defect mm. level that I won't quit at tasks. Yeah. I mean, and I hate to fail. And you're super, <laughs> come on, Jesse, you are so, you are yeah. so competitive. Oh my well, God. It's like, so one of the, so a bunch of the rookies asked me last year on US ski and snow, we're like, like, man, why do you do this? Like, why do you come out and hang out with us? Why do you work with us? Like, yeah. what's the deal? I'm like, listen, you're going to represent America. If you fail, I fail. I want to win. So I need you to win. So let's get after it. Right. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, and I do, I do keep in mind that I have to be careful with that because mm-hmm. that can be a super turnoff yeah. people. And if I do truly, like, I am not a touchy feely guy. Um, I struggle to get in touch with feelings or emotions on us. And I still don't like them. I, I, cho- I schedule time to spend in them alone mm-hmm. that no one will ever see, but that's not me, but I acknowledge that stuff is healthy. And what so kind of you do in that, in that alone time. Uh, I mean like meditation. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'll meditate. I, I will go back and I'll think about the past. Do you find it tough to meditate because of like, because oh, yeah, you, do you meditate going deep, guy like me meditating, dude, it's yeah. like five minutes of internal health. Yeah. Um, but how, do how does it feel when you meditate then? Why do it? Okay. So think about it this way. You ever held your breath underwater for a long time? Not for a long, long time, but I've... Have you ever done it like where you just... I want to see how long I can do this. Let's race buddies. Oh, yeah, 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 I have. What, that feeling when you come up for air? Yeah. How good that feels? Yeah. When I stop meditating, that's kind of like it for me. Oh, wow. But but when I do it, though, like the effects that I know meditation has, because when I meditate in the morning, it's I'm doing it with an, an intention to create an intention of stillness and focus within my day. Because mm-hmm. by nature... Believe it or not, I'm a very high energy, ping, 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 ping person. I know it's super hard to believe. <laughs> I acknowledge that. And that's part of my personality that, like, after I got out of the army, like, doctors tried to, like, cut out of me. And it, it, it almost destroyed me. Mm. And I didn't want to lose that part of me because that's what keeps me going. And, you know, with it's like with PTSD. You know, people will say, like, oh, PTSD is this bad thing. But PTSD is an energy. Okay. Energy is neither good nor bad. It just is. It's our choice of whether we do good with it or whether we do bad with it. Now, most of us vets, we do bad to include yours truly at times, but it is ultimately our choice what to do with it. So why would I want to give up this energy that I have now in order to let it go somewhere? And my path has been through AM 300 and some people think we're doing some good things. I enjoy a lot of snowboarding, extreme sports and craziness stuff that we do as well. So my energy. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, so in order to harness that though, and because when I'm going to these people, like I'm, I'm having an opportunity to hang out with some pretty influential people that you can't just like act like a five-year-old. When general Bob Castlin is around, you kind of need to act professional. When the CEO of USC and snowboard is there, you need to act professional. When you've got athletes from other countries, 
you need to act professional. And so you can't just be this off the wall thing. You've got to be able to harness it. But once I realized I could harness it and then focus it, focus it in like on workouts in the gym with them, with kids, you know, on the snowboard, you know, mountains, all that stuff. Like, it's amazing. Like you can take that and you can focus it if it's focused, but if it's not, you're lost cause. At least I am. Okay. So I have another question for you, just as you were finishing off that sentence, you said you hang around a lot of kids, right? And, and you told me before, and I've seen your videos on Instagram, but you're hanging around with a lot of these US snowboarding youths, like in the, they're like what, 15, 16? Uh, so the snowboard team is the youngest one. Tessa Maub was 15 last year. Yeah. Um, I don't think they got a younger kid. And then the oldest, I mean, maybe, well, I mean, Sean White, I guess he's not on really on the team, but he's 34 and he's probably the oldest. Okay. So, so mainly like, I mean, I'd say 19 to 25 ish. So my question is what kind of energy do you gain off of hanging around those, those younger people? Um, well, I think, so they're in their point of life. So for me, like my, my, that, that period of my life was, I was at war, man. Hmm. I was, when I was 26 years old. So I was 26 years old when I took command of Charlie Troop Task Force 300. Um, you know, that I went over to the Yellow province and, and met ISIS and helped codify their name back in 2006 and 2007. I was 26 years old. So the same age as these kids, pretty much in the, the higher end of that bracket. I lost like all that. And they talk about all this development that your brain does from like 21 to 27, 28. Mm-hmm. Like, man, that was like taken away from me. And so for me, it's not about like, oh, I'm getting a chance to live again. It's about seeing something that's foreign to me. Because I never saw that. Like, I see that. I'm like, they're having fun doing nothing. What? what, (laughs) Why are you doing that trick that's not going to go to a bigger trick? Why? I don't get it. Explain it to me. They're like, we're just having fun, Jesse. And I'm like, why? Why would you do that? And so like these kids, and I've written about this a couple of times where like, you know, my biggest struggle on life and i you read about in the introduction was the emotional plane of existence yeah. i had perfected the art of isolating like no one you'd ever seen up mm. until two and a half years ago almost three years ago now yeah. and so for me to like go back in time now or have that opportunity go back in time and get parts of that life back has helped me become a better version i believe of myself than I am today and but so you know, they'll tell you, like Lucas Foster, if you talk to him and hopefully you'll eventually have him on your podcast because God, that guy's just a little stud. You know, he, uh, he's 19, but man, I, sometimes I feel like he's older than I am. <laughs> and he's just so mature. Mm. I mean, guy's been a professional athlete since he was eight years old. Wow. And so, so, so but they look at me and they're like, man, just you're teaching us so much about being a servant, like how good it feels to help people. And, and I'm like, listen, man, you're teaching me how to be happy. Like mm. I never knew that. And so it's this amazing dynamic, but it goes back to like my rule in life. And this started when I was in Iraq in 2003, I realized like we were getting nowhere. We were in a, we were in a town called Mahmoudia is the tri- top triangle, the Sunni triangle of death. And it's Mahmoudia, Ludafia, and Yusufia. And I was right up in Mahmoudia and we couldn't get the Iraqis to do anything. And so I went in one day and I'm like, you know what? Nothing's been working that we've been doing. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go in here. And I am going to ask them for $1 of intelligence. Rough number, right? But I'm going to make a goal to give them back $10 in stuff or things. Mm. And, and I didn't tell them I was doing that. I just did it as like a little like pissed off experiment. And all of a sudden, I'm like building relationships like there's no tomorrow. And 
I realized that if you do that, like generally, if I do that, I never really have to ask anybody for anything. Like mm-hmm. they just, they want to do it because I mean, it feels good. They're getting it. And then they realize it feels good giving it back and all that stuff. And so I always try, if I go in and speak somewhere, you know, and someone pays me X amount of dollars, I always try to 10 X that in terms of the value that I'm giving back to them in return. Mm-hmm. And it's just my own rule of life. And it's how I've lived since I was 23 when I was that young Lieutenant there and, and it worked even when I was in the middle of the Oliver River Valley, but it was nothing but killing every single day. I still would treat those people with respect and find ways that I could help improve their lives. So I love, I love that you still have like, I love that you still have that in your mind and in your heart that at the end of the day, like you, you are, you're kind of just being forced to do something that you don't want to do, but you just have to do it because, because of the moment you're in and the, and you know, because you have to do it. Right. Well, what's funny is, so people will tell you that, oh, Jesse's become a hippie. He's been become like this, like yoga, totem, whatever, you know, (laughs) gypsy. No, this stuff is efficient. Okay. If I can come in, so if I can come in and help you with your podcast and I can make your podcast 10 times more efficient, guess what? I'm probably going to enjoy it 10 times more. Right. Yeah. And so it's like, this, this isn't just about me, like feeling good about all of this is, there's something in it for me too. The world runs better. Like I get enjoyment out of watching things run more efficiently. Mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm an engineer and that's what I enjoy. And bonus when people are happy over it and when they get their stuff done faster because then we all go home and play. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. I love that little summary. It's so true though. Like I, that's when I think back and how I resonated with that, what you just said is like the reason why even I do what I do, every single stage that I speak on, like exactly what you said, like I give more than 10x the value Every single person I meet, when I meet them for coffee, I try, I like, I'm so open and vulnerable and honest with them about myself and who I am as a person and my passion and my purpose that I don't hold back because I think, as you said, when you see other people happy or it, by you saying things from your own experience and, and wisdom, sharing that with others, just making them happier in their life from your words, that is the most fulfilling and, the, and the, one of the best feelings that we can have. And like you said... It just keeps, it just, it just means that we can keep doing what we love and knowing that other people out there are going to have that domino effect. Cause if we share that love with them, they'll obviously spread it and be like, Oh, you know what? Sadik, you know, taught me this or Jesse taught me this. Like I, I, I love to share it with you. It's just so much more efficient. Like you said. Yeah. Well, and, and the other thing too is I don't know about you, but one of the worst feelings I ever have in the world is when I leave somewhere feeling like I, like people feel like they got jipped by me. Yeah. Something like that, right. Yeah. Um, I hate that feeling. Mm-hmm. And so what's the way to never feel that way? Always make sure they get 10 times more than they pay for. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And so once again, it's because I mean, for me, that was, I remember one time when I questioned whether I met the value and I felt sick to my stomach and, and I, I'm sure you probably feel the same way. So that yeah. like that knocks out that. And then the other thing is then people trust you. Right. Um, and then they don't question you. And, and like in business, like if you have that reputation, no one's ever going to question a contract. They're never going to question your pricing. You know, they're never going to question your relationships. They're never going to question the people you bring in. One of the greatest things that's been about this Phoenix project thing and doing the TED talk is all the guys and girls I've been able to bring up on stages with me. Yeah. You know, if you go and look at you know Habit Two Warrior Conference, I brought JJ and Lucas Thomas, or JJ Thomas and Lucas Foster, Jason Woolley, and several other athletes out there to speak on those stages. We got uh, JJ Thomas up on the Ted talk stage. Like I love doing that. Like, cause, 
A, their stories, in my opinion, are much more interesting than mine are. Mm. And I love to just tee it up and hand it off to them because, yeah, that's a sustainable thing. Because, man, I can only tell my story so many times. Mm-hmm. No, it's and, true. and it's all about, like, the next generation, right? Build up. And maybe that's my, my army, you know, upbringing because we're always, you know, as a leader, I might die. Mm-hmm. I got to make sure that guy behind me is ready to go. Yeah. And obviously things aren't that drastic anymore. Although if trying to keep up with Lucas Foster and a snowboarder, Jason Wool, <laughs> you might die, but it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it comes back to just servant and yeah, the, yeah, the servant leadership concept of, you know, not only your customers, cause that philosophy in the business world is, is about the, uh, is, is about the frontline employees, to the customers, like kind of leaves out everybody else in between, but, the true concept of it is that you're taking care of everybody. It's a circular fashion that it just kind of transcends up and down the chain of command. Um, John Mackey did a great job with that at Whole Foods. Um, his book, Conscious Capitalism, I don't know if you ever read it or not. It's amazing. No, I haven't checked out. Yeah, it, no. it's, it was one of the first books recently came out of it. But anyway, um, sorry. What's it called? What's that book called? Conscious Capitalism oh. um, by John Mackey and it, so Whole Foods. Do you guys know what Whole Foods is over there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't okay, I don't know. I don't want to offend anybody. If <laughs> no, so John Mackey. He um, so conscious capitalism is about. Hey, guess what? You can be a capitalist and not be a ruthless human being. Mm. Um, and you know, it's and his book is about. And in fact, in his store, that it might have changed since he left when uh, Amazon took over. But those baggers. They were paid $24 US an hour in Colorado Springs where I was. The only person that was paid more than the baggers was the manager. And the reason why Mackie did that was because he knew that those baggers were the last people that customers were going to interact with before they left and realized they just spent 10 times more in the store than they would have at Walmart, right? So that needed to be the biggest impact of their journey is that bagger. Mm. And I'll tell you what, you go in those baggers are so dang happy. I mean, they're making $24 an hour putting groceries in the bag. <laughs> that's servant leadership. Southwest, same thing. They use servant leadership there. They're flight attendants. Half their flight attendants make more than half the captains in those planes. Wow. Same reason, because they're the last ones to interact with customers. So, but Conscious Capitalism, you should check it out. It's a really good book. Yeah, I highly recommend it. I signed okay. it for reading when I taught at Grand Canyon University. No, no I'll, I'll, I'll definitely check out the audio book. Um, so talk to me a little bit about your your journey and like how after you retired how did you kind of like how did you know like what your purpose is now like how how did you find that that's that's like the biggest question I have for you yeah so so I retired so I am retired fully from the United States Army Mm -hmm. I have a I I think I'm probably in probably top 10% of income earners in the United States right now um, just off of the retirement um, but it's, so I retired at 31. I, I was planning to do 40 years in the military, but I, I was hit, uh, said a few times, but in 2007, I got hit by a suicide bomber and I uh, took shrapnel down the left side of my body and just when it had it taken out and went right back to the fight a couple hours later. In fact, I actually just found the picture of them taking the <laughs> shrapnel out and, uh, of going back in the fight. And so I went back in the fight and I fought for nine more months on it. What I didn't realize is a piece had gone through my knee and had ripped it up pretty bad. So when I, I fought him for nine more months, got back, had a full reconstruction, deployed shortly after that, had to have it reconstructed again when I got back, deployed again, had to have it reconstructed again. 
And then I was, I got picked up somehow two years early for major um, when I wasn't even eligible for the promotion and was fortunate enough to pick that up. And I went to uh, grad school to a fellowship. And while I was there, I got selected to be General Castlin's aide. And uh, General Bob Castlin is one of the most amazing Army officers I've ever met. I mean, integrity beyond reproach. He's currently the, the president of University of South Carolina. I think the first time a, a general of that level has been a public school institution teacher wow. um, or president. And he, it's like me to be his aide. And when you get to be an aide for a general like that, your career is set. So it, not only was I one of the youngest majors in the Army since Vietnam, I had the best job. Mm. And everything was going for me. And um, you know, I had the lost child. And then they had me go in to have my, che- my knee checked on before deployment. And when I got out, they had reconstructed again. And when I woke up, they're like, you're done. And I said, you can't jump out of airplanes anymore. And if you can't do that, you can't be a ranger. And so they toyed with the idea of sent, keeping me in grad school, get a PhD and teach at West Point. But my family at the time was not going to support that because they knew I'd just find a way to get back to Fort Bragg and, you know, do crazy stuff. Mm. And so I retired at 31 and uh, went into the civilian world. But when I retired, and this is kind of what the whole Phoenix Project story is about, I, um, I was not the person I am today. I was very, very dark. Um, you know, I had... Uh, in 2007, when I lost nine guys in one day, up until that point, I did not drink at all. Every once in a while, you know, with the boys or whatever, but I, I wasn't a drinker, mainly because I was a control freak and I didn't want to lose control. Mm. And while I was there, I ended up getting prescribed Xanax and pretty much had an unlimited supply of it and had no idea that it hit your brain the same way that alcohol does. And so when I got back from that deployment in 2007, touched alcohol for the first time, essentially was a full-blown alcoholic throughout the bat. Wasn't too much of an issue because I was deploying so much, but once I retired, it, you know, it started to catch up with me, but the problem was I could still get away with being physically fit. And so it wasn't like enough. And so my body was keeping up, but the damage was still happening internally. And my soul was just leaving me, man. And I just, I couldn't, I couldn't talk to anybody because when I retired, if I admitted I had PTSD, I wouldn't be eligible for these great civilian jobs. Mm. And so I just had to hold it all in. And then uh, in 2015, moved up to Colorado Springs from Arizona, where I initially retired from. And when I got there, I started AM300. Uh, I developed a patent for a RFID technology company to track soldiers on the battlefield. And as soon as I did that, my now ex-wife filed for divorce. And that was a very long process that, once again, had to happen. Um, I ended up giving the patent away to the United States Army and um, you know, we just moved on. Uh, and decided that, you know what, I am so wrapped up in helping everybody else in the world. I mean, that's what AM300 was about. Never have another prisoner of war again, because mm-hmm. that's the commander's worst fear on the battlefield is losing one of his soldiers, right? Or her soldiers. And, and so for me, that was to eliminate, that was my act of service, but I was killing myself with not dealing with my own stuff, like having a blood alcohol content way over safe limits all the time. And roughly about June, May, June, 2017, the number of suicides from guys that I'd served with matched the number that I lost in Iraq in that one deployment, which was 14, wow. the nine in one day when I started the Xanax. And so I sat there and I thought to myself, you know, like we used to have a, a thing called the Ranger Challenge. And I'm like, even embarrassed to even like admit this, but 
like on a Sunday night, drink a fifth of Jack Daniels, Sunday night, go out and run 10 miles Monday morning. Throw up, you lose. You don't pass. And like that was just the stupid stuff that we would do. And the extent that we'd go through to prove that we were tough or hard. And every single one of those guys that I checked on the, the after action reports, their deaths had drugs and or alcohol in their systems. And so I'm like, well, how many of these guys got to that level? Now, it's not my fault. It's ultimately their, but I still show by example, like if you want to be hoo, 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 you know, crazy, then you need to keep up with this. And so that was when I realized, okay, what if the best way I can help these guys is to start with myself and provide some sort of motivation that I maybe was at some point, you know, for them. And, you know, with my daughters, it was, you know, what if the best dad that I can be for them is the best version of myself as a dad for them? What if for a future potential spouse being the best person I can for them and that's when I started turning it all inside. And that's when the Phoenix Project started. You know, and I, of course, went to that VA. And uh, I walked in. I was pissed when I got there because I had to admit, like, I mean, this VA was one of the lowest recovery programs in the country. 1.2% success rate. Wow. I was the only person there that was there for their first time. Everyone else averaged three times. One person, seven. Wow. It was a, not the best place to be. Mm. And I remember going in there being pissed. And like, great, now I've got a label on me. And so I walk in there and I get locked in a room to wait for my therapist and there's a whiteboard there. And I'm like so frustrated that nothing has worked. And I've always been able to find a solution to every single problem in life up until this point, but I could not find a solution to the pain that I would feel from what I was feeling from, from combat, from my son or from child and all this stuff. And the only thing that could stop it was to check out, you know, in my case, it was alcohol. And so the one thing that I had had some success with was working with these USC and snowboard athletes. And what I tell them is like, Hey, listen guys, if I had been as strong as I was on the physical, on the mental, emotional, and spiritual, like I would have bounced back from my injury so much better. And so you should do it too. ultimate do what I say, not as I do mentality. That was the only thing I had. And some of them had done it and it worked for them. And some of them had made it up the ladder faster than they were projected. And so I said, Hmm. So I started like, I did not like to be told that I had to do things the VA way, which would be like the mental way. Right. I didn't like to be told that to do things like the 12 step way it should be the emotional way and the physical way I could get away with drinking a ton and then go and do a CrossFit workout in the morning. So that wasn't as effective. And on the spiritual side, I still feel bad about that because like my spiritual faith should be enough to like overcome me through anything. But I think that the dichotomy with that is the spiritual is connected to everything. Right. If one aspect of life is drawing you down, it's going to drag your spiritual down with you. And so I sat there at that whiteboard. And I wrote down those four words, mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual. And I said, I'm not going to do it their way. I'm not going to do it their way. I'm not going to, I'm going to figure, out, figure out a way for them to help my way, basically augment my way. So I wrote down all the resources, mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, wrote for three hours, whiteboard was full. It was beautiful. Like stuff. I had done <laughs> things. Right. And I stood back and I was admiring it, but I was holding my hand up like this because I was covering up one of the, the planes of existence. And of course it was emotional. And and I took my hand down. And I just, I was so shamed. Like I could not write one resource that I had under the emotional plan of existence. Because since I was a 14 year old boy, like I had, that was the key to life for me was just emotionally shutting off. And so that's where, of course, I then sat there and I would not leave the whiteboard until I wrote something down because yeah. the only thing I hated more than alcohol or PTSD was white space on a calendar or a whiteboard. <laughs> 
And so I, I knew we'd have to go to 12 step groups there. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to make a goal of meeting one new guy every night and just being his friend. And if I can do that, then I'll write 12 steps on there and I can walk out of here. And so I did. And since I did that, you know, I'd never done LSD or anything like that or any psychedelics, but I can have what's only described as a psychedelic vision of, you know, Phoenix bird, you know, rising up in front of me and then all of my perceived accomplishments in life coming with it. But then all of a sudden everything just burning down to the ground. And I remember being just in despair, like, no. And then when I watched the rise come up, it was something so much more beautiful. And, and that's what I knew I needed to do. And so that's a little bit longer explanation probably than you're trying to tease out of me there. But, and that's what, you know, the Phoenix project has, has been. And what I try to encourage people is like, listen, you don't need to hit the level that I hit to start your Phoenix project, right? You can start it up here. <laughs> like you don't need to go down here. And yeah. so you start up here, you're going to have a head start and you can build off of so many more things. And so with people, when I work with them or I speak, that's what I try to encourage them. But I mean, if I do meet people that are at their perceived rock bottoms, I just remind them, Hey, guess what? I was, I was born with a jackhammer. You mm. can show me a rock bottom. I'll show you 20 feet deeper. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Imagine. So something I want to ask actually, Jesse, um, is for someone that's listening now that f- does feel like they want to just isolate themselves all the time and they don't want anyone around them. They just want to be alone. They just want to be by themselves. They just want to remove themselves from the outside world. What would you say to that person now listening that just I would say, doesn't want to? I would to- say, uh, yeah. So, cause I'm still, I, I get in this mode still today. I did it today. Actually, I was a couple hours out by myself, loving it, just absolutely loving it. So I get it. Um, I would say, get out of your own head and do something for someone. Like just go do something for someone. Even if it's something simple, you know, there's a reason why 12 step groups work. Like it's actual science. And they took, and they proved this by taking 10 alcoholics and 10 non-alcoholics and hooking them up to brain FMRI scans. They gave the 10 non-alcoholics a glass of wine. They're their brains lit up like happy, you know, oh my gosh, Sadiq's so much cuter than he actually was before. You know, I'm just kidding. That this typical <laughs> stuff you have when you're a normal person, you can socially drink. So there's 10 non-alcoholics. The 10 alcoholics, they had them write about something they had done nice for someone recently. The brain fMRIs lit up identical. Wow. When an alcoholic or someone in addiction does something for someone, essentially makes them high. Mm. It gives them the sustained feeling. And for me, Sadiq, like my problem was way beyond, in my opinion, alcohol or drugs. Mine was different. That was a symptom of the problem. Mm. And maybe some other time we can, we can talk about that because I think oh, there's been a lot of people that, you know, if they're like, man, I'm just, I do drink, but that's not why it's not my problem. And what is my problem? Well, for me, that's what Phoenix Project has been about. It's finding that problem and addressing it. But for people that are by themselves, like get out of your own head because that's, that's a dangerous place to be because it's easy because you just keep going back, you going back, going back. And when you do something for someone, you're going to feel better about it. You're going to feel good about it. And it's going to pull you back into reality. So give us and some so examples. Like what, what can that person do? Let's say, let's say that person doesn't go out. Like let's say they don't, they don't go out. They're just isolating themselves. They're just in their room or they're just at home. How can they still help someone? How can they still okay, so the other night, there's this, there's this old, this, uh, oh gosh, I get careful. So a, a woman slightly more seasoned than me, um, <laughs> uh, 
was bringing her, grocery, we were bringing her groceries into the, the apartment place or the, the condo complex. I said, hey, man, let me help you take this vaccine real, real quick mm. for you. And so instead of having to do three trips, she did one right inside and she had a bigger guy help take the heavier stuff. And that, that was so much work. Oh my gosh, you're not going to believe it. I couldn't work out the next day. No, it wasn't. Like that's, that's something so easy. But to that woman, like she no longer has to worry about walking across the street in the dark. Mm. You know, she doesn't have to worry about, you know, her cat getting out or something like that. She's a cat lady. And, you know, it's whatever. It's like something so simple as that could have like secondary and tertiary effects that you can't even comprehend. And you never know when it's going to happen. Mm. Um, so that's just, that's one example. The second example, you know, go to Starbucks and, and here's one challenge people on. And I'm not going to admit whether I've ever did this or not because it'd be ruining the point here is go buy some gift cards and give them to the baristas and don't write your name on them. Just give them baristas and say, hey, these are for random people. Peace out and leave. And don't stay there and watch the people smile that they got their free coffee. Just walk out and know there's going to be some people that are going to be like, holy crap, they just made my day. You know what, Jesse? You just reminded me of something that a couple of years ago when I was part of that online business, I had a mentor. And he taught me to do the same thing every Wednesday. He called it Wealth Wednesday. Mm-hmm. So he made us, he basically said for, for us to do better in life and in business, we have to make others feel good. When we make others feel good, as you said, we get high, essentially. Like we feel good ourselves. But he said, do it in a way where, just like you said, with the gift card, but he told us, do some, pay for something. Like, so actually, with your own money, buy something pay for something with your own hard-earned money and buy someone something without them knowing it was you. For example, if you're in a McDonald's driveway, go through the drive-through, buy, buy your food, and whatever the orders, whatever the person behind you orders, just ask the lady at the tail or the guy at the tail, could you, can I just pay for the person behind me? Pay for it and just go. Sa- same with Starbucks, same with any, any coffee or um, when you go to a restaurant, you know, leave the waiter, waiter or the waitress uh, you know, like a tip. And that, honestly speaking, Jesse, like I, I was doing that every Wednesday and I, and I haven't been doing it recently, but at the time I was doing it every single Wednesday and it honestly made me feel so good. And I remember at one time I went to a McDonald's drive through just because I couldn't, like that Wednesday, I couldn't figure out a way to just pay for someone's, to just buy mm-hmm. someone and do something nice. So I purposely went to the McDonald's and just bought myself a McFlurry and I paid for the person behind me. And then when I went back the next day, uh, sorry, the next Wednesday, the same you know, guy in, that works in McDonald's was there and he, re- he recognized me and he said to me, oh, you're that guy that last week, you know, you came, you paid. Oh, by the way, like the person behind actually said like they were so shocked and that's, they've never had a kind, a kind person do that for them before. And just the fact that that guy had, like even took the time to tell me that that person appreciated it, that in itself made me feel good, even though I already felt good for doing the act in the first place without knowing what the consequence of it is going to be. So that kind of reminded me of that. And it's so true. When we give truly from the heart without, without having the expectation of anything, that is the best feeling for me of fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, and it's counterintuitive, right? You're like, okay, I'm supposed to do something good for someone so I feel better. Well, I'm not going to feel better if they don't know about it. And get, like, exactly. It doesn't make sense. Come on, what are you talking about? And it's true. Yeah. But like that's where the growth comes mm. and right. And the idea, cause there's, there's something to the unknown, right? You yeah. walk out of there, you don't know the impact because one man's treasure is another man's trash. Another man's trash is another man's like, you just made his lifetime. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, I'm guessing McDonald's, you're probably going to get more on the life treasure lifetime, you know, yeah. kidneys, you're probably not going to get much, but, but I'm just, you know, it's like, you can go, so you can go find little places, like, hmm. go, go find somewhere where maybe some people eat that aren't, that are eating there because they have to save money. Well, hmm. if you buy them a big meal, all right, it would cost you like, would be a, a salad at your nice restaurant. You can buy them like the whole family meal, like that could have tremendous impact to that single mother who no longer has to worry about cooking or cleaning when she gets home or something like that. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, that it's just, if you, if you can sit back there and do that, that's where things start to become special. And then you think about it. Like if, if you think back when someone's done something nice for you that you like didn't know about or something like, I don't know about you, man, but it inspires me. I'm like, that person just went up me. All right, I'm I'm gonna go do something better for someone else. They just yeah, did for me, that's, right? That's exactly and, what my mentor was saying. Like, it's like we have a, it has a domino effect. Like when and, and it's and it's, it's like the, it's such a it. sick way to put it, but it's true. Like, yeah, you know, like and so well, so then you can sit there and think. You're like, okay, I just went and did something for Sadiq. I know he doesn't want to get one up by me, so now he's gonna have to go out and do, do something for someone else and totally like <laughs> top me. And now all of a sudden that just keeps going, and that's kind of cool to think about. What if, you know, what is going to happen? And the thing is, man, so many, especially with veterans, you know, so many of the veterans that commit suicide, they're by themselves. Yeah. And no one to talk to you. I'll tell you what, there are guys like, especially Colorado Springs, where I just was, big military town. And man, they's on that bus and no one will talk to them. Like if, if people would just talk to people, like you'd be surprised how many lives could potentially be saved. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just comes back to so like the, the emotional thing, right? There's an example right there. Go talk to someone. All right. If you knew that person on the street was going to commit suicide, if you didn't go to at least just say hi to him and ask him the other day was going, would you not do it? Of course you wouldn't. You would go and be like, man, dude, like, let's go get you to the ER or something, right? But we'll say that, but we won't go like ask someone how their day was or, you know, how did your soccer or football team do that? I hate, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to flip you off as a walk by or whatever, you know? So it's like, what are those things? And, and this comes back to my other like guiding principle. I look at what no one else is doing and I like make data points. And those are the things that I try to find what to focus on because if no one else is doing them. Then the impact's going to be greater. And that's the way I've always rolled. And so, you know, just, Think about needs and stuff like that. So like the talking to people, all right? The one right there. No one does that. I mean, I'll tell you, there are a lot of veterans I know that would not, because our problem here is we get disconnected from civilian society because we think we've gone over and done something different than civilians have. Now we're two classes. They don't understand us, it's, which is BS, but it's the way it is. What if someone just goes like, hey man, can you tell me about your service? Like help me explain. And, you know, that could have huge impacts and i'm just using one example it could go across any i mean think about you know different faiths hey why don't you tell me a little bit about islam why don't you tell me a little bit about judaism so i actually know what it is rather than what i see on the news mm-hmm. or whatever I like i mean can you imagine i mean that's how i found out you know the realities of of most face was by asking someone about it and and that can have because you, you, you can erase an entire generation of hatred right yeah. there in one conversation. Mm-hmm. I love that. It's so true. And I said exactly what you said. Like people nowadays just don't, they just, 
I am going to kind of blame technology on our phones. For I was just going to say, make sure you don't, and you can't post it on Instagram either. That's what yeah. I was just going to say. <laughs> you, got, you, you, you beat me to it. That's the thing. Like, I always tell my friends, right, or anybody I ever meet for coffee, when I'm with them one-on-one, my phone is always on silent. It's on like airplane mode or something. And I just don't look at it and I'm, I'm away from it, even though the people that know me today know me as this positive person, as this social media guy, the guy that puts out so much content and I do it all myself and all of this kind of stuff. Even though I do all of that stuff, that stuff is all to inspire others, to motivate others, to, to help others take action. It's me being of service to just give content to people about things that I'm learning on my personal growth journey. However, when I'm with someone one-on-one, it's a whole other level. I go in deep with them. I, go, I ask them about their life. I actually care and I listen. And one of the things that most people that I meet tell me about myself is that I'm a good listener. And that's something that I was not before. It's actually a skill that I learned. I learned that skill after I read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Mm, Dale Carnegie. I, I loved it, honestly. Like, it just genuinely taught me how to make real friends and just ask questions and shut up. Ask questions, shut up, listen. So, so one of the most important attributes that in, when you're trying to develop intelligence, so I, I hate to bring this back to like the battlefield scenario, but I mean, these things are just principles, right? They're, they're principles that are across everything, but we're taught, or I don't know if I was necessarily taught this, but I realized it worked for me real fast. I always looked for the things that weren't there. Mm-hmm. Like I looked for the things that were missing. Like I took pause to notice these things. So like if you're sitting with somebody and you notice you're not wearing a dang wedding ring, Hey, what's going on? Are you having a fight with you? Oh my gosh. Yeah, I am. And I really want to talk. I mean, that's another thing right there that if you just like, Observe. if you look for those things, we can't look for them if you're not listening or observing. Mm-hmm. So it's, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, this man, we get two years, one mouth, right? Which yeah. everyone will say, yeah, Jess, you talk way too much anyway. I know. So. <laughs> But it's so true. I'll be, more, like, I'll be more quiet in my next life. <laughs> it's so true what you said, though, man. Like, I, I think it's so powerful that, that we, if we just take some time to ask people questions, like genuinely, like not just, not questions like for the podcast. Like, you know, people always say to me, when I, when I invite guests to my podcast, they always, even you said the same, right? Like, oh, what's the structure? What's the procedure? Because we're so, well, I guess most people are so used to that, that structure or that skeleton of like, how is it going to flow? I'm like, screw the flow. I'm like, just be you. For me, that's, that it always works. For me in life, just being myself works. I, I understand that on a TEDx stage or on, in certain scenarios in our life, yes, we have to be a bit more professional. We have to you know, be a bit, di- bit more different. But other than those very rare occasions, if, we, if, if everyone just lived their life being themselves, like I know you do, like you are always yourself, if not more, you're just a crazy human being. But I love the I love the fact that you something that you even said before we started the podcast when you when you just said that. I want to just mention that to everyone. You know, Jesse said like when he after all the stuff that he's been through, after all the traumas, after all the hardships, after all the times of things that times in his life that he didn't want to do certain things, he still felt like he was in a dark place when he came out of the army. But now he's completely doing the opposite of that. He's literally living as a true servant leader. Like he's helping so many people around the world. He's hanging around these youngsters who are making him even younger than he is. (laughs) 
And li- bro, honestly, I'm 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 speaking from the heart. I genuinely mean this. Like I genuinely see that from oh, you. Man, my fiance is 20 years old. I got to keep up. So <laughs> that's awesome. That's that's another thing in our life that I, I I truly believe. Like if we don't surround ourselves with those right people, then like if imagine I surrounded myself with only the older generation. I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with them. I'm just saying it's just a mindset difference. It's just a way of thinking and the generation. You just call me seasoned. No, I wasn't talking about you, Jesse. <laughs> I was just talking about in general. If I only did that, then yes, I would learn a lot of wisdom. I would learn a lot of experience and wisdom from those people. But I also would be missing out on the things I could be learning from the younger people, from the, from the people that are my age or even younger because they're the upcoming generation. So remind me a note about that. The rule of three. Because you sit on something pretty key. So, sorry, I, don't, I typed it. What's, the, what's that? The rule of th- okay, so the rule of three, back yeah, to what you said. So the, so the dichotomy to that, okay? So, so there's a great book you should check out if you haven't already, um, The Dichotomy of uh, Leadership by Jocko okay. Wilmick. He's a Navy SEAL. I have a tremendous amount of respect for. Um, he, he's really taken leadership to a whole new level in terms of integrating civilian and military, particularly within special operations. But the rule of three is... And this was told to me by a guy named Doug Burley, who was the CEO of Young Life. Um, when I was in college, he's a mentor of mine. He married me the first time. And he had told me, he goes, listen, Jesse, you always need at least three people in your life, minimum. And you have to have at least one in each category or you will fail. Mm. So, okay. And he was really my first mentor too in college. He says, you need someone that's mentoring you. You need someone that you're mentoring and you need someone you're walking side by side with, pure. Like if you go, if you refuse to have any three, one of those three in your life, you're going to get so lopsided and out of balance. Yeah. And so, you know, the, and for me, it's something I've constantly kept, made sure that I have, you know, younger guys that I'm mentoring, my peers that I'm hanging side by side with, and then, you know, my mentors, which essentially my board, because they babysit me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, so there's like a, a dichotomy, that balance, right? Mm-hmm. And you need to have it in a ways. And plus that keeps us growing because, you know, you need to be accountable to a mentor. You need to be a leader to the mentee and you need to have someone you're honest with. Because you're not going to tell your mentor like everything you've done. Exactly. You're not going to admit any weak, weakness to that guy. Mm-hmm. So you got to have someone that you can be, you know, truly honest with. And, you know, your peer's not going to look at you like your king. Your mentor's not. That's what you got the, the mentor for, or mentee. So I, that's, that's something I really encourage, you know, the younger generation coming up now, especially with the athletes I work with, like, man, find a mentor and have your peers. Go find a kid that's on a skateboard or something and teach him some tricks. You know, it's, and it's, that's been incredibly impactful to me. And I maintained that since I was in college, since I got that experience. That's amazing. I love that. No, I'm, I'm, I agree with that. Like, and I think when I look back to when I actually started taking my life a lot more seriously in the last five years, when I started personal growth, I, I've actually managed to do that. Like I've had a mentor, whether, whether physically with me or through online of some, in some way I've had someone yeah. as a role model that I'm constantly accountable to. I've had people in that same process where I've been helping at the same time. And I have actually also had friends who I can actually just share and just be honest and just be like, just tell them the truth of how I'm feeling, what I'm doing, like, how's it going? So yeah, I love that. 
That's super powerful. Yeah, it's, well, it's something that's so easy. And that's the other thing too. Like people, oh, Jesse, you're so complex. You're so complicated. No, I am dead simple, man. And it, this is simple stuff that I'm talking about. It's, it's not rocket science. Is it always easy? Is it always comfortable? Maybe not. But this is simple stuff. And you just got to do the reps. And it's like, you know, excellence versus success. Everybody wants success. They want to have 10,000 followers on Instagram or whatever overnight, right? Okay, excellence is waking up every morning, commenting on 10 people's stuff right off the bat, following five people you never would have, and doing this every day, right? And then if that's a life of excellence. Success is you go hit the one video goes viral and you get 2,000 followers or something overnight. Which one's sustainable? And which one's going to mean more in the yeah. end? And that's with the military advisory board that I, I'm part of with US Ski and Snowboard. That's what we try to share with them is, is encouraging a culture of excellence. Because the culture of success is burnout waiting to happen. Mm, so true. Just look in ex, all excellence is, is looking to do the next right thing. Doesn't matter how big it is. Just look to the next right thing. You'll be on a culture of excellence very quickly. I love and if you're still having problems with it, give me a call. I'll help you out. <laughs> I love that. That's actually one of the best ways you could have ended the episode, Jesse. I love it. Excellence. Um, before we end the episode, I have four questions I want to ask you as part of my final okay. four. You don't have no clue what they are. The first one I have for you, Jesse, is what is the one question every single person listening to this podcast right now, what's the one question they should be asking themselves every day? Are you better than you were yesterday? Love it. You're a better version today than you were yesterday. What's your experience if, with that? If you're not, like, what are you here for? Hmm. Exactly. Um, you know, with these athletes, they, they all want to take out Sean White, snowboarders. Like, Sean White's the guy they want to go after. I'm like, okay, what happens when you beat him? Then what? What if you make that person you're going after the writer you were yesterday? Hmm. The writer you were this morning, this afternoon, Saturday. Then there's no ceiling to how great you can get. Yeah. There's no ceiling to the performance. No. And... And so that's, that would be, that. that's easy. Okay. Sorry. That's, I, I get that one every once in a while, but <laughs> I love that. Up that was like, that was like a softball. That's fine. You got G up suddenly like be better than you were yesterday. <laughs> be the best version of yourself. Okay. The second question. Yeah, that's a can. That's a, that's like become a just misconstrued thing. And that kind of irritates me too, because it is important. Hmm. You know, it's it, that, that has saved my life. Me becoming the best version of myself has literally saved my life because I was so concerned about helping everybody else in the world become that for themselves. And, and you forgot about you yourself. You fix internal first. Mm. No, I love that. That, that. That's something I believe in. It's like ra- raise yourself first and then go and help mankind. It's, it's like a philosophy that I live by still till today. Okay, so the second question, Jesse, is what one video or documentary or movie that you've seen in your lifetime that everyone must go and see because somehow it's positively impacted your life? Oh, well, yeah, the positive impact. Um, so... So you added that. So let me, I'll, I'll start with one and we'll figure out if we need to answer. So American Sniper, if you wanted to, uh, if you want to understand what guys like me went through, that's a really dang good depiction. Is it a documentary? Um, yeah. So it's, it's a true story about Chris Kyle. Um, he's a legend here, especially in Texas because he was from here, but he, um, he was the most decorated uh, sniper in United States military history, um, which they never thought those records would ever be broken for Vietnam. And when he came back, he was struggling with PTSD big time. And so he started teaching other veterans how to shoot. And he was a legend. I mean, everyone knew who he was. In fact, that was his nickname, the legend. Mm. And he was, 
but he was dying inside and his wife was about ready to leave him. And so he finally started a nonprofit to teach guys how to shoot and pass on his skills that he had. And unfortunately, um, right before he got the nonprofit established on a range, a fellow veteran turned on him and killed him and his buddy. Oh, wow. Yeah. So Clint Eastwood directed the movie. It's, Oh, wow. This must be good then. Yeah. So they, so that obviously it cut that, that part's not in. Everybody just knows that. But what's important about the movie is it shows what, like, like, you know, what I, my generation went through mm-hmm. and the struggle that we have of, cause this is the first war where I had to build hospitals and build schools during the day. And then I was doing missions to take out people at night, oftentimes the fathers and brothers and uncles of the people I was helping during the day. And that really tears at you. And so that movie if you want, if you have a desire to understand why we are the way we are, why we isolate the way we do, Clint Eastwood does an amazing job of articulating that. And Bradley Cooper did a really good job of playing um, Chris Kyle in that. So awesome. uh, that I know it's kind of a little bit of a Debbie Downer. Um, on the funny one, I mean Anchorman, dude. That's, that's Anchorman. That's, I mean, you know, we used to watch clips of that when I was overseas. Just to, still classy till today, right? So. Um, awesome yeah. cool I'll, I'll definitely let everyone know to go and go and check those out so now coming back now coming on to the, the 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 one book i know there's i know you love reading um but what's the one book you would share with everyone recommend for them to uh, actually just, hang on one second I'll do a little public service now I'm just trying to say <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I already knew i had a feeling that you're gonna get up and go pick up that book <laughs> i just knew it Right. It happened so, on our last live as well. You, you yeah, went up to pick up. We can, uh, yeah, I think I gave you like 20 books to read last time. Yeah, last time. <laughs> Sorry about that. So, so this one right here is uh, The Obstacle is the Way. Okay, yeah, I've heard of it. By Ryan Holiday. So this guy just happened to codify it, but this is what I've, you know, the, the thesis of this book is everybody in life spends the entire life trying to go around the obstacles in life, right? Trying to avoid hardship, enjoy, avoid stress, Voice struggle, all that. Well, and this goes back to my point. What if those struggles are the way that make you get you to your personal legend or your personal purpose or whatever in life? And and so that's something that I've been living, I feel, you know, my entire life. And this guy happened to codify it. So I actually just I just bought this for somebody. So that's why it's here. But I probably bought 20 copies of this book. Wow. Obstacles away. Um all that guy's stuff is good. Um, daily Stoic journal um, for a daily meditation is really good. Oh, that's too. the one you recommended to me last time. I remember. I think I did. Yeah, I probably did. So cool, nice one. I'm gonna check that out, actually because I, I, there's so many books this year that I wanna that I wanna actually listen to because uh, I don't know about you. You love reading. When I when I sit down to read, I fall asleep. So <laughs> doesn't, doesn't matter how. That's how, a gift, man. That's how, a gift. I would trade that for you in a heartbeat. I, I, honestly, I'm not gonna lie, and I've never lied about it. Everybody that knows me knows I don't like reading. The only books I read was when I first started my personal development journey. Was Rich Dad Poor Dad, How to Win Friends and Influence People, Think and Grow Rich, um, on the top of my head, and then there was another five other books as part of like a business thing that I was reading. Other than that, I've never really dug deep into other books. I, it was all audio books after that. Um, but that's just the way I prefer to learn. And I think everyone's different. So yeah, I'm not judging you. <laughs> okay. Last question for you, Jesse, this one's going to get a little bit deep now. Yeah. If you can spend your time with someone who is either dead or alive to learn from them or ask them a question, 
who would that one person be? I know there probably will be obviously more than one, but who would one person that you would love to have a conversation with that you've never had the chance to, who that one person be and why? Yeah. Um, probably right off the top of my head. I mean, obviously there's like, this is a, this is an hour long class, this response, but right off the top of my head, um, King David from the Bible. And the reason why is because he went from no name shepherd boy, youngest piece of crap brother to having an opportunity to do something no one else was going to do. And he did it and became King. He got everything. And then he screwed it up because he decided to cheat on his wife. And he didn't only cheat on his wife, but he sent that girl's husband to the front lines to get killed so he could marry her. So he wasn't technically having an affair. And so he like screwed the pooch big time. So this is a biblical story. And so thing is, so, but he, but it's a, it's a story of regeneration. So like half of his books in the Bible are about that dark time that he was in of him clawing back and asking for forgiveness and seeking after God's heart to regenerate himself and come back to lead Israel. And, uh, and you know, that's why they say that the, the Jews will say that he was the last great King, maybe the only great King. Um, because of, well, no, just because of, he was like the true essence of what they were trying to personify in terms of his relationship with God, of seeking after God's heart. Cause that's what David was known for was seeking after God's heart. Mm-hmm. And so for that guy, like I can relate to his, his story in that manner. Um, not that I did that, but it was like, like I, I basically, I, I sold my civilian life away for this this purpose that I thought I had and it almost killed me and I had to regenerate and come back from it. So I, I just, yeah. So right off the top of the head, probably, probably David. So, wow. and I'd be like, I totally would have been with you in the Goliath guys. Go get the rock. You want to sit coming. So talk to the <laughs> union. <laughs> I love that. I love that. It's super interesting though. I, do, I would never have guessed that. you you'd Yeah. I mean, it's the thing is too, is everybody I meet city. Like I, I will learn something from everybody. Yeah, right. I might learn things that I'm not going to do ever again, but I'm going to take value away from that. So, you know, there is value to be learned from studying people that weren't great people. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay. Was John F. Kennedy a great president? A lot of Americans probably say, yeah, he was. Well, he was having an affair the night before the Cuban Missile Crisis. He chose to go and have an affair with a 19 year old woman instead of be home with his wife and kids when we thought nuclear war was going to come. Does that make him a bad person? Well, we're not God. It's not us to judge. So it's like we can choose, we can pick and choose what we're going to make part of our programs, our lives, and leave the rest. Mm-hmm. Just like what I say. If you don't like 99% of the things I say, just look for the 1%. And that's was a table turning for me. I used to go into every situation and look for the nine things out of 10 that were totally wrong. And I would highlight them and I would show them on a 10-page PowerPoint presentation. And then two and a half years ago, all of a sudden I went, I'm like, you know what? What if I take the same amount of energy into finding the nine things that I tend wrong to find the one thing right? And what if that one thing that I find right in that VA is the thing that saves my life? Or even better yet, what if I find that one resource my buddy's been looking for for five years that he can't find? And, and so when I go into situations, my, my go-to is find nine out of ten, find nine out of ten. And I'm like, okay, no, one is harder. So let's go after the harder thing. It's going to be harder. So that kind of falls in line with the same principles. So. Love that. No, it's amazing. I think you ended the episode amazingly. Like, it's so true. I think that even our last guest was saying that we should learn from even the worst of people. 
literally. Yeah, I'm not saying we glorify them or anything. It's just, I mean, no, if, just, if nothing's going to happen. Let's at least learn from it, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's no justifying certain things in history, none whatsoever. But let's at least learn from it to avoid it and be able to see if it's coming against we can squash it. Exactly. And that's the main thing. So true. I love it. Jesse, how can everyone listening go and reach out to you, ask you questions, know more about your story, all that good stuff? Well, I am required to be on social media. Um, of course. I wasn't on social media until about a year and a half ago in my post. I know you wasn't. I remember when you first I picked Instagram because that was going to be the easiest one to fail at, I figured. Because um, yeah. that's all the skiers and snowboarders had. So all my social media platforms, I'm AM300 Phoenix. So AM300 Phoenix. That's Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. Instagram's the one that I'm probably just I'm most comfortable with. I don't understand other platforms. And so hmm. Twitter scares me, honestly. Um, and, uh, just type your thoughts on Twitter and just send it every day. That's, yeah. That's I, I need to, well, my publisher is going to start helping with that. So that should, Twitter should make a little bigger thing. Cause they're going to start like taking my stuff and helping me with that. But I do want to get like Facebook. I just recently started getting back on, mm-hmm. um, that I've got to put on boundaries. Right. Cause, cause I will see that one comment and I would just be like, uh, it won't even be about me. It'll be something about you or something. I'll be like, Dude, that guy is going down. Right. <laughs> like I have to keep those boundaries and that's what I've got to keep. Careful, also am300.com is my website. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm there all the talks like work with USC and snowboard. The book details will be on there. The book's coming out in June. What's the, what's the name of the book, by the way? Phoenix project. Okay. The so Phoenix gonna be two books. So it's going to be the Phoenix project to be the first one. And that's going to be kind of up to, so that's kind of like setting the theory of okay. the Phoenix project. And that will be from kind of my journey, what caused me to get to that point in June of 2017 mm. to initiate the Phoenix project. And the second book is going to be called the Phoenix rising. And that's mm. going to be the applic- like hardcore application across the mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, along with some contributions from some pretty high performing individuals along mm. with that. Okay, so you forward to check it out, bro. Yeah. I'm looking forward to read it. I, I read your, the, the document you sent me very highly confidential and that that no one else is allowed to see yet yeah it's i mean i I don't and i I appreciate your your response to it i mean no genuinely i like i it was only like 20 uh, 12 pages or something right and like even that took me a long time to read but i read it and i now that i know your view on reading i'm honored (laughs) i read your talk it even puts you to sleep right you didn't i swear i i promise you you didn't man like i i actually read your 12 pages don't worry um, yeah. but that's the thing with me. Like when I put my mind to it, I can do it. But when I just open up a personal development book, I can get into it the first couple of pages, but honestly, like depending on where I am in my environment, I just feel like I just start getting sleepy and I'd rather listen book, to it. The next book you read, pick one that you want to read. That's going to help some, help you help someone else. Mm. Get a book about something that you're not an expert on, that you know, one of your people you care about is struggling with and you need to get smart on. Yeah. And watch how easy it is to read that book. Yeah, probably. Yeah, gonna, I'll give it a go. I'll get, I'm going to give it a try because there's no harm in trying. Awesome. So it's great. Once it's getting out of your head, right? It's not yeah. about you. It's about them. It's but about all them, of a sudden, yeah. things just get easier. I don't know. I may just put you right to sleep too. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But like yeah, I said, I, I, I'll I'm give wrong. it a try because I don't know if I'm I don't wrong. try. I'm wrong all the time. I'm no, but it's, it's not that you're wrong. It's just, it's about the action. Right? Right. If I don't try it, I, don't, I won't know. So that's what I, that's what I tell everyone as well. So, but 
Jesse, honestly, it's been an, been an honor to have you on the on the podcast, man. After such a long time, I'm trying to get you on. Thanks for sharing your story with everyone, and make sure everyone's still listening to go and reach out to Jesse. He is an amazing guy. Go and reach out to him, ask him questions, DM him on DM him on Instagram. He's always there to like be of service and and help everyone. And make sure when his book comes out, you guys check it out because I'm definitely getting my hands on it. I wanna. I'm gonna. Are you gonna have an audio audio version of it? We are. Yeah, the publisher's doing an audio book. I'm, I'm excited. Richard that. Bell, my mentor, is going to be uh, narrating that, and we're actually going to be doing it together. So it's going to be a little bit of a fun podcast back and forth. I want to listen to your voice on the on the on your book, just so yeah. I don't. Just so I promise you that I will fall asleep. Take the distorter and like turn to a helium voice or something. Like that. <laughs> just for you. Oh gosh, Jesse, thank you so much, man, for being on the Purposeful Mindset podcast. Honestly, I'm so grateful. Um, keep doing what you're doing, man. I'm I'm truly honored to to know you and to be of service to you. Oh, by the way, if I can be of service to you, if I can help you in any way, please, you know where I am. You know, you can you can always reach out and, and, and ask me because I'm always here. I I appreciate that, and I would like to end on my note of just how special I think you know us meeting, and I have it in that first that first post that I made. You know, mm. what world does I still saved in my world is a country bumpkin, you know, from North Carolina, you know, that was raised by arguably some of the most backwards, you know, people in terms of how we view human beings, you know, and a, you know, a dapper, you know, Englishman from across the pond of, you know, polar opposite face end up, you know, connecting like this. Well, in our world, it does. And, and what it comes down to is it's amazing when you step back and be like, you know what? I have 10 things right now and I only need one. Here you go. Here's nine. And when two people do that, like that's where some pretty, you know, magic stuff um, comes along. So. Love that. True servant leadership, bro. All right, man. Good Love to go. That. Rangers oh. lead the way. Rangers lead the way. Thank you so much, bro. I'll take, take care of yourself. I will catch up with you really, really soon. Okay. If you're still there, I just want to say a massive thank you for your attention and your time. It really means a lot to me. Please do me one favor and subscribe to this podcast, share it with your friends and leave a rating on whichever platform you're listening to this. It would honestly mean the world to me. Thank you so much once again. I hope that this episode brought value and inspiration into your life and I'll see you guys next week.